Wherever you are, we welcome you to People's Church, Polokwane. We are glad that you joined us. We believe that uh, God works by appointment. It is not by accident that you switched on uh, onto our channel. We want uh, you to connect with us. Uh, there's a link below. Click on that particular link. It will take you to our welcome card. And what we also want to ask you is uh, join our social media platforms. That will appear on your screen. May God bless you as you do that. Uh, you know, in life, you are either strong or you are weak. You are becoming weaker or you are becoming strong. You know, Jesus said uh, to his uh, audience, and which he says to us also uh, as we meet in, on this channel, that if you hear my words and you do what I say to you, you are like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And if you don't do my words, you are like a foolish man who built his house on sand. So the house which was built on sand was a weak house. And a house which built on uh, the rock was a strong house. So you have to ask yourself today, are you doing the words of Jesus or are you neglecting the words of Jesus? Remember, the storms, the rains are coming for everybody. They're coming for the weak house, they're coming for the strong house. If your house is strong, when the winds and the rains come, it's going to stand. If you, have, you are building on the sand, you can be sure, Jesus says that, your house is going to fall and that fall is going to be great. So as you have joined us, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that you allow us to build on the rock so that we are strong, so that whatever comes our way, we'll be able to stand. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke in the dark and fleshed out a wonder of light. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies above, in the vapor of your breath. 
attention there at the start before the beginning of time hope with no point of reference you spoke in the dark and flesh out a wonder of light oh and as you speak a hundred billion galaxies upon in the vapor of your breath the planets form if the stars were made to worship so light oh I can see your heart in everything you made burning star to signify of praise if creation sings your praises so will I in science they found that uh, positive thoughts strengthen your mind and negative thoughts weaken your mind and memory is a very very important part of our life and Jesus has given us something that we can do with our memory he says when we break his body and when we drink his blood we should do that in remembrance of him remembering the sacrifice that he has made or done for us on the cross so as we are going to, to partake and participate in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the blood of the Lord, we are strengthening ourselves. And that's why the Lord said, when we do this, we do it in remembrance of him, remembering the great love that he has bestowed upon us, that he was willing to go to the cross to die on our behalf. So even as we do that, let's remember that Jesus loved us enough that he died on the cross and that he shed his blood for us and then his body was broken on our behalf. As we do this, let's remember that. Amen. We are coming now to the time of offering. And we are going to ask our sister, Konima uh, Swangani, to do that part for us. God bless you as she comes forward. Thank you. Hello, my name is Connie, and I have the honor today to encourage you with an offering message. Let us take a look at the beginning part of the book of Ecclesiastes, which is being taught to us by the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon. He devoted himself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. He tried it all, hey. He sought out pleasure and denied himself nothing but to make himself happy and found no meaning in it. He studied the wise and the foolish and thought them both the same as eventually everyone's legacy ends up forgotten. He came to the realization that everyone's life, human and animal, ends in death. He 
question the value of hard work and realize that everything we accumulate here on earth, we will leave behind. He saw how oppression continues to run its course. And he ended up concluding that every activity under the sun is meaningless. That in this life, on this earth, we're just all busy chasing after the wind. And then, for the plot twist, let us pick up the holy text from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. And it reads as follows. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is also meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Here we see that all the activity under the sun is futile and meaningless if it only serves oneself. Once it is done for others, with others, it starts to have meaning. We are born through people into families, put into the care of others. Anything different from that would be empty, meaningless, we live in community with others and fellowship here in community. Anything different would be meaningless. Every component of our lives is made up of effort from others. No one, rich or poor, young or old, can do life in complete isolation. It makes no sense. It's meaningless. I will conclude the message with a favorite account of a simple story about William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. So near the end of his life, he was an invalid and could no longer attend the army's annual convention. A co-leader asked him to write a message that would be read at the opening of the convention to encourage the many soldiers that would be in attendance. They would be encouraged for their long hours that they put in during the holidays and the cold winter months serving others. So the organization's funds were limited and at the time messages were sent via telegrams and telegrams were charged per word. So the money was needed more to help the needy. And General Booth decided to send a one-word telegram and that word was others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for every single person who is here today. I'm so grateful, O King, that you have assigned each and every one of us to each other. Thank you, my Lord God, that we get to live in community, that we get to belong, that we get to love. And we love by action. We love only when it is an action towards another. We pray, O King, that as we give this morning, that you will bless what it is that we have 
to give back to your kingdom, my king. And may it impact the world in a way that would be pleasing to you. May it multiply towards the multitudes of people who will be saved and will be saved in your name. Amen. The preacher of the word uh, is our sister, Balesa Muhudi. Uh, as she comes forward to preach, uh, let's ask God to give us receptive hearts and open ears. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church. I hope you are well. I'm thankful to God for this opportunity to share his word with you this morning. Today's message is titled, For the Glory of the Living God. I think before we go any further, I'd like to build a bit of context to the message so we can fully appreciate the meaning and the spirit behind it. So I'd like us to remind ourselves of these two points. One, that, is our God, that our God is alive. If you remember, when Simon Peter responded to the Lord Jesus' question of who do men say I am, in Matthew chapter 16 from verse 13, Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, not the dead God, but the living God. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10, it is written, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. We find many more scriptures which prove that we serve a living God. Our God is alive, church, and we need to always keep that in mind. The second point we must remember is that our living God is holy. We read numerous scriptures in the Bible which highlight the holiness of God. But for the interest of time, I will not go into all of them. In Isaiah chapter 6, from verse 1, it is written, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. In Isaiah chapter 43 verse 15, the Lord says this of himself, I am the Lord, your holy one. Our God is holy church. And I think it's important we understand that he is a holy God. What does that mean, you may ask? Most of us know holiness to mean moral purity and righteousness. Yes, that's one of its meanings. However, according to biblical scholars, that is the secondary meaning. The primary meaning of holiness is being set apart, separated, different from anything else. And that is who our living God is. He is different from anything and anyone. He is set apart, distinguished, 
consecrated and magnificent. His distinguished nature, his holiness, is at the core of everything he does. And it is the very thing that causes us to fear him and the very thing that draws us to him. His holiness is manifested through his presence in all of creation. That's why you realize that the word holy is used as an adjective in the Bible. For example, the holy city, holy ground, holy nation, holy spirit, holy Bible. All these are holy because of the presence of God in them. Meaning, when God dwells upon anything or any place, his holiness is displayed and things and people are transformed. We are holy through his presence in our lives. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 makes it clear that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once for all. So through this, we understand we've been sanctified, made holy through the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And because of this sanctification, we are instructed to set ourselves apart and be holy for God himself is holy. You can find that in Leviticus chapter, 14, chapter 11, sorry, verses 44 to 45. When God manifests his holiness in us, we in turn glorify him before the nations. Leviticus chapter 10 verse 3 puts it this way. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. When we approach God, we need to approach him with the reverence he deserves as a holy God, not like the sons of Aaron who offered profane fire before the Lord. When we regard God as holy and approach him as such, he will be glorified before all people. We glorify God through the manifestation of his holiness within and upon us, and he alone has created us for his glory. We can glorify God in many different ways. But today, I would like us to focus on glorifying him in the context of Romans chapter 15, verse 6. We'll read it from verse 5. It reads, May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. I like the Amplified Classic, which reads, that together you may unanimously, with united hearts and one voice, Praise and glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Family, God is glorified in us coming together with united hearts and one voice. 
Go and back to Romans chapter 15, verse 6. God says, He is glorified when we come together with united hearts and one voice. Speaking of united hearts and one voice, I was reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27, which read, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is, so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we, we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has different parts, not just one part. Here we read that as diverse as we are, we must be cognizant of the fact that we are members of one body. Basically, diversity in oneness. The moment we acknowledge Christ as our Savior and are baptized by the one Spirit of God, we become part of the one body of Christ. Let's continue to read verse 15. It reads, If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less of the part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Church, God did not make a mistake in his creation of us. He created us individually, different and unique. But through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are corporately one. And in that oneness, he is glorified. We are all important in keeping the body of Christ, to which we all belong, healthy and functional. That's important to understand. We are different on purpose. Let's go back to the Bible, verse 20. Yes, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Of course, church, that I can never say to the hand, I don't need you, because it does need the hand. All parts work together to, to fulfill the one God-destined purpose, which is to glorify God. That's just how it works. Similarly, we as the body of Christ can say, we don't need one another, because we do in order to be fully functional as the, as the one body of Christ. And in our working as one body, we remember the warning the Apostle Paul gives in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. He says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment, according to the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us 
has one body with many members. And not all members have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many are one body. And each member belongs to one another. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, we have no business elevating ourselves or demeaning others. Instead, we need to value one another, regardless of what part we play in the body of Christ. Because even though we are many, in Christ we are one body. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22. It reads, In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Church, even though we are individually unique, we are all significant before God. And he cares for us according to our individual needs, for our corporate well-being and function. We must also care for one another. Because if one of us suffers, we all suffer. Similarly, if one of us is honored, we must all be happy. Let's continue to verse 27. It reads, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now, let me show you a way of life that is best of all. I really like verse 31 as a prelude to chapter 13. The Apostle Paul says, Yes, we are all different parts of one body. We are all gifted differently. We must be happy about that. But there is more to life than that. There is, far better, there is a far better way of life. Let's read about this better way of life in chapter 13. Reading from the first verse, it reads, If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy 
And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. The Apostle Paul introduces what he terms the better way of life, which is love. He says, we can have all the gifts and talents in the whole world. But if we have no love, we are nothing. We can also serve all we want and even sacrifice our bodies. But without love, we are as good as nothing. And there's no benefit to whatever we do. So in our function as one body, our fuel should be love. Without it, we are as good as dysfunctional. Let's continue to verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, the Apostle Paul explains love to us, just in case we don't know what it is. He says, love is patient and kind. Carrying on, he explains what it's not. Yet again, in case we are unclear, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I like this because it gives us an opportunity to evaluate ourselves. Let's read verse 8. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy, prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely. Just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. The Apostle Paul closes by showing us why he places so much emphasis on love. He says, 
Gifts will one day become useless. But faith, hope, and love will remain. And of the three, love is the greatest. So church, this morning, I'd like us to take the following points home. One, that we serve a living God. Two, our living God is holy and his holiness is revealed through the glory we bestow upon him. Number three, one way of glorifying him is through being united in heart and being of one voice as the one body of Christ. And lastly, we must remember that love is the most excellent way of life. Even as we take all these points home, we must never forget that all we do must be for the glory of the living God. All we do must be for the glory of the living God. Have a blessed Sunday and thank you.